0: Let's pray together. Lord in your word, and in the life of your church, and in your life with us, you have taught us that you are present with us every single moment. You are present with us every place. You are present with us in ways more profound than we can begin to understand. But you have made yourself present to us so that we can understand the things that I have just said. We claim your presence with us again. We recognize it. We turn our hearts and our souls to you right now because we believe you still are speaking through the ancient word of scripture, through the story of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, through the life of your church today, through the words and the heart and the hugs and the questions and the challenges and the encouragement of the sisters and brothers who are gathered here. We want to remember those things now as we open your word that is written. Please open our hearts to hear an old word of encouragement, a new word of education, a word that will nourish us for living today for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name, amen. Friends, we're continuing to look at some of the most important images or descriptions or titles of Jesus because we think Jesus is really, really, really important. Does that make sense to you? Cool. Don't need to describe that any further. Today, we're going to look at two passages from the Gospel according to John. And uh, Sunday morning, we'll focus on one particular word in those passages. But we want to get a more full and rounded sense of uh, the context of where that word occurs and what's going on. And that's why we're having this Bible study together. First of all, from the first chapter of John, verses 43 to 51, and then the third chapter of John, verses 1 through 2 and we'll just read them both uh, together right now. So John 1, 43 to 51. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And then John 3, the first two verses. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. This is the word of the Lord. We should say that sometimes. Okay, let's begin to take these apart. Let's, uh, Let's start this way. I like to start different ways sometimes. Um, I could talk for an hour. You know that. <laughs> but let's, let's approach this as, as all of us do when we read a passage of Scripture, and let's talk about the thoughts, the passions, the questions, the confusions, whatever stuff these things roil up in you, okay? Let's just start there today. That's what I feel like. That'll warm us up maybe a little bit. <laughs> so, somebody fire away. Okay, blank. Absolutely nothing. No. <laughs> I know you have to have a little time. Yes? So, my favorite description of anyone in scripture is the Aha. Very cool. I'll repeat what you've said so that we have it on the tape and everybody can hear. Your favorite description of of, of anyone in Scripture is the description of Nathaniel as the man without guile, or in the New Revised Standard, deceit. Okay, okay. Let me ask you, why is that your favorite description? Yeah, yeah, for Jesus to have said that of them, he must have been an amazing person. So, let's talk about Nathanael for a little bit, right? How many of you remember this story, by the way? Yeah, it's not one that you hear discussed a whole lot in in a lot of preaching that that I can recall, but Nathanael is a fascinating character because uh, Philip goes to tell Nathanael that there's somebody very special that Nathaniel needs to meet, and Philip has met him, and we can talk about Philip in a while. Um, but as Nathaniel is coming to Jesus, right, Jesus just looks at him, according to this report, and says, here's a man without guile or without deceit. And Philip sa- or Nathaniel says, how do you know this? And Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Okay, so let's look at all that. But for the, for the first thing, let's talk about guile or deceit. Let's add some words to that. What do you think of when you think of a person filled with deceit? A person maybe who has no integrity, no fundamental honesty. A per... <laughs> I knew that word was going to come out, Politician. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me take this somewhere other than <laughs> the moment where we are today <laughs> and, and say something about what Jesus had to say, that there is, there pretty much is deceit and guile in the human heart because we're always trying to finagle our own way, and we're always trying to make ourselves look better than we actually are and we're always trying to arrange the world so that it suits us. And, and that's a negotiation in life, isn't it? How many of you have your lives so well organized that everything is exactly as you want it to be? <laughs> right? I want to talk about, I mentioned that because that is one of the problem. We all have some of that in us, right? Okay, and I, I, I completely understand um, when we look at the state of politics in the United States of America today, or in many other countries, friends, um, we, we wonder who is telling the truth. And, and, and who is, if we talk about a man without guile, We're talking about someone who has no agenda, right? Other than maybe an agenda of serving. We're talking about a person who is maybe always honest, or at least honest and kind. Um, How else would you describe that? Let me stop describing it. You describe it. What is a person like who has no deceit in him? Say it again. Genuine, okay? Genuine. You know you're meeting the real person, okay? Someone else, shout it out. One person at a time. (laughs) I heard... (laughs) Childlike, okay? Childlike, right? Yeah, children, children for the most part, begin to learn very early, but at the beginning, they don't know how to be anything other than what they think. And so if you walk into the room and, and, you know, a kid will say, ooh, there's a fat, ugly old man that just walked into the room. And that's not a political statement, right? That's just just what they see. Okay, yeah. What else? Pure. 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 That's good. Yes. Okay, yeah, the way God intended us to be. The way God intended us to be. That's fascinating. Kind. Kind is good. What else do you think of? Humble, humble, tender. Did it was the word? centered, centered. Okay, okay. Yeah, typically a person. Um, we can say this both from the science of psychology and the science of spirituality. Um, that a person who truly knows who they are, i.e., a beloved child of God, created in the image of God, forgiven of their sin, and following Jesus. How is that for a little sermon there? (laughs) Um, A person who is centered in that way doesn't have to worry about impressing others or always getting their way or lying to cover up their mistakes. Or, I mean, we can go on with that list for a long time, can't we? Yeah, yeah. Yes? Willing to learn. Fascinating. 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 We'll be talking about that a little bit more, so hold that thought. Okay, so there's Nathanael. Now, Jesus looks at Nathanael and says, this is who you are. Nathanael says, you've never laid eyes on me before. How do you know this? How do you think Jesus knew? God? Okay, yeah. If Jesus is God and we say he is God, then then he can simply look at Nathanael and say, oh, yeah, I I know you, Nathanael. Okay, Okay, that's a great answer, by the way. There are other great answers, perhaps. Okay, that, that, that answer uh, affirms our belief in Jesus as God. Okay, Jesus was also human. You remember that? <laughs> what in Jesus' humanity might have been able to look at Nathaniel and say, here's someone without a seat? Yes, say it again reputation, okay, maybe the Nathaniel had that reputation. Yeah, Laura, what were you going to say? Same thing, reputation, yeah, see, two of our great theologians right here, two of our, no, frankly, the, these two folks have a great track record of teaching the scripture, thank you for that. Okay, so reputation, let me take that as an opportunity to, to help us think a little bit more about this story, Okay. We have these words, you know, Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Jesus says, I'll follow you. Philip goes to Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, what's going on with Jesus' knowledge here? Boom, boom, boom. It all just happens. But there's a whole lot of backstory going on here, right? Philip and Nathaniel are just human beings like you and me living a human life, okay? How many of you have been to Galilee? John tells us this occurs in the region of Galilee, right? The Sea of Galilee, have you been on the Sea of Galilee? It's a glorified lake, right? Seven miles wide, 14 miles long. It, you know, it pales in comparison to something like one of the Great Lakes, okay? The Sea of Galilee and that region is a pretty small region. It's, it's dotted with little towns, places like Capernaum and Nazareth. Jesus has been living there already for 30 years, give or take, right? Jesus knows some people. Some people know Jesus, so it's very possible, or we use the word plausible, you know that word, that Jesus knew something already about Nathanael, okay? We don't have to go to the metaphysical or mystical Jesus is God in order to answer the question. I think we can, and I think we should, and I think we should also hold up against it the other side of that, that Jesus, as a human being living in a small community, perhaps already knew nathaniel does that make sense i think both of those things are important to look at now we're given a clue here right nathaniel says what in the world was going on jesus how do you know who i am and jesus said what do you believe because i told you that i saw you under the fig tree anybody here sit around under fig trees no what they're messy Anybody here eat Fig Newtons? Okay. I, th- I cannot read fig tree in Scripture without thinking of the taste of a Fig Newton. I don't know what that is. What- what's significant about sitting under a fig tree? You see, you can't gloss over any of the things the Scriptures say because they might be saying something important. Any ideas? Whatever you want to share is okay because there is no definitive answer to my question. There are some potential answers to my question. It was shady, okay? Philip, you're a man without guile, and you sunburn easily. So you were sitting, I don't know, <laughs> right? Here's one, one answer uh, that, that has some plausibility to it. Um, in Jesus' day, um, and long before Jesus' day, and... Not just in the culture that Jesus was in, the Jewish culture, but in the broader Greek and Roman culture, particularly the Greek culture. In the days before public schools, okay, was anybody here born before public schools were created? Right? Do you realize that public schools where all little kids go to school and start in kindergarten and stuff, all all that is a recent invention? I should look up the date. One of you can. You've got your phones turned on. Public school system really started pretty much in this country only about 250 years ago. Before that, less than that. Yeah, probably less than that. I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I, I've learned to really hedge my bets when I talk up here because some one of you has written 62 books about the history of public schools here, I'm sure. <laughs> um, before that... Um, people were educated at home, or, revolutionary thing, started, maybe it was 250 years ago, churches started teaching school lessons to children on Sunday morning, and they called it Sunday School. And that was because the other six days of the week, the children worked on the family farm or they worked in factories. It's only a recent invention that we have allowed children not to work, but instead to go to school. So back in Jesus' day, most people were educated only at home. The boys might be taught to read and write. In Judaism, that was an important thing, reading and writing, so that you could read the Scriptures. But in most other cultures, most people were not taught how to read and write. Most people couldn't do that, okay? So you learned a trade from your father, from your family, and you mostly just kind of were doing that work for the rest of your life. But if, if you had a little bit of leisure time, then what you would do as a young person growing up was you would try to find some wise person, And in Judaism, that wise person would typically be one of the men who was literate and had studied the scriptures, and you would go to that person and say, I would like to become your student. You would go find a teacher, and you would go sit sometimes in a public place, maybe even under a fig tree, and have a lesson in life, a lesson in the scriptures from that wise teacher. That's the way you learn things. Now, that should sound somewhat familiar to you if you've studied ancient Greek culture. That's who Socrates was. Socrates had a band of of younger people who listened to him. That's how you learned. So it could be that Nathaniel had taken the initiative to find someone to help him learn. Maybe outside of his family. Maybe Nathaniel's family were illiterate, okay? Maybe he didn't have older people in his family that could teach him. Certainly, it was helpful to go listen to some other adult, particularly if Nathaniel was a teenager, because you know the principle that teenagers do not listen to their parents. Do you know this principle? Okay. And so I think it was a wise cultural thing to go outside of your own family context and find somebody else to help you learn. So maybe that's what Jesus had seen, that Nathaniel was a good student, or at least an interesting student. Okay? Okay. Let's talk a little bit more. What else? What else is in these two passages that that gets you excited? Yes, ma'am. Okay, okay, there we go, yes. Yeah, yeah, Nathaniel says, when Philip says, meet Jesus, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? okay? That phrase, by the way, is very important for us to look at, I think, because it's one of the phrases out of thousands in the Bible that have found their way kind of into our common way of speaking about things, okay? When you say, you mentioned the term sarcasm, okay? That's great. When we say, can anything good come out of Nazareth, what do we mean? Anybody here ever use that phrase? Maybe I just listen to preachers too much. I talk to preachers too much, right? That's going to be good, or these people are ignorant, or something like that. Okay, yeah. There's no education there, or there's no redeeming value. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they're poor, or something Yeah, like that. maybe Nazareth. Now, we know Nazareth is a small town. Anybody here been to Nazareth? Some of you have been. We can go to Nazareth, Yeah. Uh, Nazareth, Nazareth is a small town, it's not like Jerusalem where all the smart and intelligent and important people are, including the politicians, um, uh, you know, it's not like Athens or, or Rome or Ephesus or one of the big important places, just tiny little Nazareth, so maybe it's like, well, you know, there's nothing special going on in Nazareth, what can come out of Nazareth, okay? That is one of the most, most popular and not necessarily a wrong interpretation of what's going on with that phrase, Okay? I'm feeling brave today. How would you say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How would you say that today? It's a pit, okay? Yeah, can say that again? Can anything good come out of Washington? Can anything good come out of Washington, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we say that, don't we? Of course, makes us wonder, right? Or can anything good come out of I don't know, take your pick, Barstow or, you know, just someplace out of the way. Yeah, yeah. That could well be what was going on in Nathaniel. There is, yes, yes, at that time a lot of Romans in the area. Most of the Romans would have been in Jerusalem. Uh, the Roman garrison would be in Jerusalem. Of course, the Roman governor was there. You've got to control the capital cities, but there would be Romans around. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the Jews avoided certain places where the Romans were. Yes. Yes, and that would not be a good place now. But Nazareth, Nazareth probably did not have a permanent uh, Roman uh, presence stationed there. It wasn't big enough and wasn't important enough. Okay. That's a good good line of thinking to think about what, what's going on in the broader culture there. Let's look at this phrase from the perspective of what has come before it. Remember, you always interpret the Bible partly by what is before and what is after. Philip, okay, has decided to follow Jesus. And notice what Philip says to Nathanael. We have found him about whom Moses in the Law and the Prophets wrote. We have found Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, okay, now, we have to ask, how does Philip know all that? But let's not, let's not ask that for the moment. Philip simply says that to Nathanael. We have found the person who is discussed in Moses. Now, not just Moses. It was understood that Moses was the author of the first five books of the Bible. And when you talk about Moses and law and prophets, you're talking about the Old Testament. Pretty much everything in the Old Testament. Not just the stories of Israel, but the prophecies about Messiah and all that stuff, okay? And what do we know about what the Old Testament had said about where the Messiah was going to come from? Bethlehem. Not Nazareth. Nazareth is not mentioned as one of the important places from which important people are going to come in the future and from which important people have come in the past. Okay, now dig back into your knowledge of Christmas pageants. Behold is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the city of David is a little town of Bethlehem. Not Nazareth. It may be, it may be that Nathaniel is saying back to Philip, really? Nazareth? Nazareth isn't even mentioned. We weren't expecting anybody from Nazareth. We're expecting them from Bethlehem. Or maybe from Jerusalem. That may be what Nathaniel is saying. If Nathaniel is saying that, then we know Nathaniel has at least a, a passing understanding, or a passable understanding, of, of, of of what the Scriptures say. Right? And he should have because pretty much any Jew who has grown up in a faithful family and gone to synagogue and heard the Scriptures read or studied the Scriptures themselves is going to know about that. That's one of the interesting questions of the Scriptures though, especially for the Jews who met Jesus, is To say Jesus is from Nazareth was no big deal. To say that Jesus is the son of a carpenter was no big deal. But then you've got to trace Jesus' lineage a little bit more carefully and understand Jesus as being born into the Davidic line. But one of the charges apparently leveled against Jesus by the Jews to say that he could not possibly be the, the Messiah is the humble origins from which he began. All of those things are going on in that conversation. Okay, what else in this passage leaps out at you? Nathaniel instantly recognizes Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does Nathaniel believe and recognize? We have to ask that question. You see, a lot of intelligent Bible study is about learning to, to think very deeply about what the real questions are. You guys are very good at that. Okay? Why does, yes? Yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, you think, the, you think the fig tree and my knowing who you are is a big deal? There's more coming, okay? Okay? Let's, let's put those two things together if we can for a minute. If we, if we follow this idea that maybe Nathaniel already knows a little bit about what's going on with Jesus, okay? Maybe Nathaniel has heard. John has told us, that, that Jesus has been out doing some stuff already, John has told us uh, that Jesus has been baptized, right and that John the Baptist has been, has been doing some preaching about the one who is to come. Maybe Nathaniel already understands a little bit about who Jesus is, or at least has heard some of the conjecture, right It's like a Let's go with the politics again. It's like a brand new candidate who appears from and out of nowhere, and you start looking around for information and say, who is this person? Where do they come from? What have they done? And you start to hear some things. Maybe Nathaniel has heard some things, okay? Or maybe Nathaniel also has that kind of spirit that's attuned towards God, and, and when he meets Jesus, he instantly senses that something special is going on there too. Sometimes we call that intuition, right? Any of you gifted with intuition of sorts? Maybe intuition about people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, know, I don't necessarily think I'm one of them, really, but I, I, I know a lot of people, when they first meet someone, within maybe just a few seconds uh, or a few minutes, they kind of make a judgment about the kind of person that you're meeting. And some people are pretty spot on with that most of the time right? Who knows what that, where that judgment comes from, right? I was taught growing up in New Mexico in a pretty traditional environment that when you met someone that you reached out your hand and you shook their hand with a firmness not strong enough to break bones but strong enough to indicate some strength and you looked them in the eye and you said hello. If you're a little kid you say hello Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. And that if you didn't do that, you would be judged as having poor character. Maybe it's as simple as that, right? Who knows? But Nathaniel judges Jesus' character based on something. Maybe it's that intuition that's a gift in his heart. Maybe it's intuition that's informed by some knowledge that he already has of Jesus. What We hear all throughout the Scriptures that when people meet Jesus... There's kind of two reactions. One reaction is, "Wow, this guy's amazing." Or the other reaction is, "Wow, this guy's crazy and dangerous." There's kind of no middle ground when you think about it. It's a fascinating question to ask. Maybe Nathaniel says, "Okay, Jesus, you're a great guy because Philip told me that." Right? That could be possible. Notice how Jesus interacts with Philip. Jesus goes to Philip and says, follow me, okay? And then Philip goes to Nathanael and says, you got to meet somebody here. And then Nathanael comes to Jesus. You You got three very, very important dynamics that are revealed right there that you wouldn't think of just by reading the story, right? What's the first dynamic? Jesus goes to Philip. Why did Jesus go to Philip? He saw a particular what? Potential. Potential. Okay, that could very well be it. Maybe Jesus had heard some things about Philip, or maybe Jesus even already knew Philip. Okay, we're not told that this is a first-time meeting, you know, a cold call. Uh, we don't know, but, but Jesus wanted Philip. And he says to Philip, follow me, and Philip says, Okay. Now, did Philip say that just from the first invitation? Maybe Jesus and Philip had been talking about it for a long time. We don't know, okay? We don't have to read uh, mystical spirituality into all of this in order to understand that somehow in a relationship maybe that started instantly or in a relationship that had developed over time, Jesus goes to Philip and says, come to me, okay? That's different from Nathanael, isn't it? Nathaniel goes to Jesus. Nathaniel's looking. Nathanael wants to know what's going on. Okay? I meet people sometimes who say, you know, I was perfectly happy being whatever I was, and then something happened and God showed up in my life. Abraham could say that, couldn't he? Abraham, we're never told anything about Abraham being, you know, a seeker after the truth or all that stuff. You know, Abraham was just getting the oil changed one day in his Chevy and God showed up. okay? And I know people like that for whom God just showed up. I also know people who are thirsting and hungering and searching for God, right? And they're come trying to figure out what's going on. So maybe that's the kind of Nathaniel person who comes to God, okay? Who is Philip in this with Nathaniel? You ever thought about Philip? I wish we had a lot more Philips in the church. Philip goes and says to Nathanael, here's something you need to know. Here's someone you need to meet. Notice that Philip does not invite Nathanael to come to church. He doesn't say, let's go to the potluck. He says, I want you to meet Jesus. That's an important thing. Now, if you happen to meet Jesus in church, then maybe you go to church. All those different dynamics are going on in this, Okay. Let's focus for just a second. Where are we time wise? I can talk forever and not even think about the time. Yes. You all know that about me, and yet you still show up. That's the power of good food. That's a fascinating thing. Let's talk about the John 3 passage a little bit, right? I shouldn't have to tell you much about the John 3 thing because that's a, a favorite of preachers and that's a really exciting thing to talk about usually. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one can do these signs that you do apart from the power of God, okay? What, what rises out of that little two-verse snippet there for you? What's exciting there? There we go. Here we have a powerful man, who sees another powerful man and he says, Let's chat. Absolutely. How do we know that Nicodemus is powerful? We're given some clues there, right? He's a Pharisee and leader of the Jews, okay? You know what? I hadn't thought about this. Ooh, wow. Nicodemus is a politician. I don't always use the term politician pejoratively. I know we do that in our country today. And in a way, we've always done that in our country. Read some American history. Boy, have we been ugly with each other in the past, right? Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews, all right, and a Pharisee. We use the term Pharisee sometimes pejoratively, don't we? Right, right? But let's go a little bit deeper than all of that, right? The Pharisees, as a group in the society of Israel, were very, very serious about their faith. Uh, Dale Bruner, who has spoken here a long time ago, Dale's a great teacher and, and, and preacher and scholar. Dale, when he translates these passages, doesn't, he, he would not say Nicodemus, a Pharisee. He would say Nicodemus, the, one of the serious ones, capital S, serious, The Pharisees were very, very serious about their faith. They did not take it lightly. They gave themselves wholeheartedly to it. They studied the scriptures all the time. They did their very best to follow the way of life that was taught in the commandments and all of the different laws that flowed out of the commandments. Yes, Nicodemus comes in the night. Let me round out a couple more things about Nicodemus and try to redeem his reputation a little bit, and then let's talk about the night. The two things are connected, okay? Nicodemus is a fine, upstanding elder in the Presbyterian church and a respected leader in the community of the Jews. That's probably who he was. We do not need to automatically judge Nicodemus as a hypocrite right, just because he's a Pharisee. In fact, Nicodemus is one of the good Pharisees, if you will, who actually genuinely goes to Jesus uh, without guile, kind of, okay? It says, hey, Jesus, tell me what's going on here, okay? This is one of the few just sort of normal conversations that you have, and you might call it an adult conversation. Nicodemus doesn't start hurling insults at Jesus, and Jesus doesn't start hurling insults back. He says, let's have a talk, okay? Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews. Every group of people needs leaders. Every group, of, wherever two or more are gathered, you have a leader. There's always one or the other who leads, and the bigger the group, the more you have leaders. So let me try to redeem his character a little bit. Now, we are told that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at nighttime, why he needed to be secretive okay that's probably the best answer okay that's probably the best answer you could also say he went at night because that's the only time he had in his schedule why can't we say that we do say though generally speaking people will agree that Nicodemus did not want to be seen why Nicodemus was one of the leaders one of the powerful people were he to be seen or heard asking a question of Jesus, who are you, what's going on here, you're doing amazing things. That could be perceived as weakness on Nicodemus' part. It could be pre- perceived as ignorance on his part. It could be perceived by some uh, as, as, um, as disloyal to the rest of the Pharisees or disloyal to, uh, to the Jewish state or to the Jewish religion. Because obviously Jesus, in his teaching and preaching and act, his uh, activity, um, was calling all that stuff into question. So there's probably a lot of that going on, for sure. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, if, if Nicodemus had gone in the daytime, Jesus probably would not have been by himself. And, and Nicodemus probably wouldn't have been. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you need to have a one-on-one conversation what we call sometimes a come to Jesus talk. <laughs> do you all know that phrase? I think it's a great phrase. I, did, I didn't grow up with it. I, I heard it for the first time was I was with some of my southern friends and we were talking about, you know, somebody needed to have a serious talking too and they said they need a come to Jesus talk. <laughs> I love that. What else is going on in this story? We know that you're a teacher who's come from God for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. How can an old man Oh, that's not in our text today. <laughs> We're all friends, right? Nicodemus will ask Jesus later on because you know the rest of the story, how can an old man be born again, right? We know the flow of the conversation. We know where it's going to go, but we haven't gone there yet. I only gave you two verses to look at. <laughs> What are the words in those two verses? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. Did anybody get excited about that phrase? Say that again. Isn't he giving credibility? He's giving credibility, okay? Nicodemus understands that Jesus has some credibility as a teacher because of the things that he does. Okay? What I really want to talk about is teachers. I teach every once in a while. Any of you teach? Do we, have any, do we have any professional teachers here? Somebody who taught school of some kind? Yeah, very often Presbyterian churches are full of teachers, okay? What grade, what, what did you teach? Kindergarten? God bless you. Yes, yes, what did you teach? Special ed junior high. God bless you a little bit more than the kindergarten teacher. (laughs) What did you teach? teach Piano, Piano, okay. Someone else. Yes, Marilyn. High school English and history. Yes. Second, third, fourth, and fifth. All at once? Was it one of those little one-room school houses? You were the school? Two grades at a time. Wow. Yes. What did you teach? Yeah, K-8, absolutely, cool, yes. English as a second language to, to French-speaking folks, yeah, and then French-to-English-speaking people, good heavenly days. Do we have any college professors here? Anybody here teach at the college level? Yes, Dr. Ruth. Research. Research, you taught research, yeah. What else, what did you teach? Social work, Okay. Yes. Okay, an adjunct professor t- supervising student teachers of special ed. Okay. Who? Music. Music. Good. Yes. Painting. Oh, cool. Yes. Sunday school. Cool. Cool. Someone else. Anybody here? Yeah, cool. Teacher. Do you notice you didn't? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't say it. Do you notice what Nathanael says to Jesus? Go back and look at that passage. Nathanael replied, Rabbi? And do you notice what Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, you're a teacher. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Let's talk about the term rabbi. Silly rabbi. What was that old joke? Do you remember that joke? I can't remember it now. I sort of remember the punchline, but I can't remember the joke that comes before it. Oh well, we'll be frustrated the rest of the day. What's a rabbi? Who's a rabbi? What's that phrase? What is that term? An expert, a teacher. Okay? A teacher of what? Teacher of the faith teacher of the scripture why are they calling Jesus a rabbi Hmm. he taught in the synagogue even when he was 12 years old he was teaching in the synagogue wasn't he yes yes rabbi teacher oftentimes in the New Testament when folks are having a conversation with Jesus especially Jewish folks of course they call him rabbi it's so easy for us to gloss over that, that, that phrase, that term, not even to pay attention to it because it's so common. But I would propose that there's a lot we can learn from that. Those of you who are teachers, in fact, all of you, can you think of one of your favorite teachers from the past? Think of one of your favorite teachers, okay? Okay? I can think of several, actually. One of them was named Ruth. And she was about the size of our Ruth right here. And you did not mess with that woman. She was a high school physics teacher and also our Sunday school teacher. Love her to death. Tell me about who some of your favorite teachers were. Tell me about who they were, not just their name or something, but what kind of people were they? Yes. Yes. Ahead of the times, okay? Oh, you had a great high school teacher who taught you so much that you were a, you, they thought in college you were a genius. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna give you more credit. I was gonna say maybe you are a genius, right? Yeah, you are, of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, tell me about your teacher. yeah a Catholic nun who by being around her you learned from her right right yes tell tell us about your teachers Laura let you know you could do things you might not have thought you could ah they were encouraging and let you know you could do things that you didn't necessarily think you could yeah fascinating fascinating yes Teachers who valued their students and showed them respect. Yes. Yes. Someone else. Yes. You got to study under Henrietta Mears. Does that name ring a bell with any of you all? Henrietta Mears was a, taught a Bible class at Hollywood Presbyterian Church for about 50 years. Um, She wrote a book that I still refer to occasionally that I think it's called What the Bible is All About, and it's a brief survey of each one of the books of the Bible, and out of Henrietta Mears' Bible class came some of uh, this generation's greatest Christian theologians and writers, including Dale Bruner, who I just referred to a few moments ago. Yeah, fascinating. What did you like about Henrietta Mears? unconditional love and warmth. Fascinating. Yes. Yeah, fascinating. Your favorite teacher was probably an alcoholic, never showed up for work on Monday, but was an amazing teacher. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's, nobody's perfect, right? Or as they say, the bumper sticker used to say, po bodies right? Um, yeah, we, we learn from imperfect people. See, I think it's really helpful when you're reading the Scripture Really reading the scripture and and meditating on it to think deeply about every single word. Now, at some point you're going to find out, well, that word really didn't do a whole lot. But a lot of the words that we just gloss over, both Nathaniel and, um, what's the other guy's name? Nicodemus. (laughs) Both Nathaniel and Nicodemus call Jesus rabbi, teacher. In the first century culture of the Jews, a rabbi was a very respected person. You didn't use that term for everybody, right? It was a term that meant that you thought that person knew something, had something to share with you. Most generally about the scriptures, okay, but also in some sense about life. Obviously, we all know that in modern day Judaism, there are, you know, professional rabbis, if you will. In Jesus' day, rabbi was not so much a profession as it was a statement of that person's superior level of learning and ability to teach. Probably most rabbis also did other things in order to support themselves, but in their spare time, if you will, they read and studied and, and learned. And, of course, they were very important in the life of the synagogue. Okay? Early in Israel's history, the priests were of primary importance. And we still have a lot of priests and the worship in the temple, the sacrifice and all that stuff going on in Jesus' day. But now you've got all the far-flung communities scattered around Palestine, Israel. And then later on, of course, after the Romans completely obliterate Israel, the Christians go everywhere into the known Roman Empire world. And they are most of them good Jews, who have learned that Jesus is the Messiah and they create new synagogues. They don't call them synagogues, they call them churches, but they are places where you learn from teachers. One of the most important dynamics of the early Christian faith was that you had people who could read the scriptures, the Old Testament then, and interpret who Jesus was to new generations of people. It's the teachers of the faith that were crucial. That's part of what the apostles and disciples were. You know, an apostle is someone who proclaims something, who shares good news about something. A disciple is someone who follows someone else. Philip was a disciple. He followed Jesus. He also, of course, was an apostle, one of those who knew Jesus and proclaimed Jesus but a lot of their ability to spread the word and a lot of the reason that the word actually spread and people began to believe is because the teaching they received about who Jesus was and what God wants us for, for us in the world was deeply grounded in the truth of Scripture, which means the role of teacher is vital. Notice how Nicodemus describes this rabbi. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Any of you ever have a teacher who would stand up in the room and say, in this room, I am God? (laughs) Certainly you had teachers who thought they were, whether they said it or not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You often have teachers who said, I'm the boss. My name, (laughs) really? Oh, that's cool. Tom, your husband, would say, my name is Noss and I'm the boss. Yeah, cool. Tom was a teacher. I didn't remember that. What did he teach? High school. High school. Yeah, cool. Yeah. See, when you think about what Nicodemus says about Jesus, Jesus is the teacher who's come from God. If I were to say to you, and you were to believe me, that this Sunday in church we're going to have a teacher who has come directly from God, would you show up? Would you pay attention? Would you take to heart what the teacher had to say? Right? If we say that Jesus is the Son of God, if we say that Jesus is the King of Israel, if we say that Jesus is the teacher who has come from God, then why don't we listen to him more? I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys are listening to it. Interesting, interesting. Aren't you supposed to be from God, saying the word of God that is given to you? Yes. So really, you know, whoever preaches is from God, hopefully. Yes. Yes. Thank you. This. This is a this is a Presbyterian elder speaking here. Okay. In the Presbyterian tradition, we believe that nothing is more important than knowing and living by the Word of God that is expressed to us in written Scripture and in the person of Jesus and then in the way we understand all of that through the history and tradition and confessions of the church. There is nothing more important than the act of learning so that we can follow correctly. Therefore, the study of Scripture is one of the most important things we do. Therefore, when you walk into a sanctuary that is designed by Presbyterians, very often the most important feature in that sanctuary, the central place, is the place from which the Word of God is read and proclaimed. The clergy, and actually the term clergy is not a good old Presbyterian term because Presbyterians don't have clergy. Presbyterians have elders. We have people who are selected from among the membership of the church for particular roles and function. We are not better than anybody else. We just have a particular role and function. We have two kinds of elders. One kind of elder is a ruling elder, someone who is charged with the authority, or in every church, a small group who are charged with the authority of leading and organizing and providing for the life of that church. Several of you in this room, and I hope you remember who you are, are ruling elders of the Presbyterian church. Please raise your hand. We got a bunch of you. Cool. Some of us, fewer of us, are called teaching elders. We do not actually rule over the life of the church. The ruling elders do. The teaching elders' primary job is to teach and preach the Word of God. That's who we call ministers. I am a minister of the Word and Sacrament in the Presbyterian Church, a.k.a. a teaching elder. Okay? My job is actually not to do an awful lot of what I do around here, and that is to lead an organization. Okay? That comes along with it, too. My primary job which is one of the reasons that I'm one of the only ministers that I know, even in the Presbyterian church, who does this with a lot of my ministry. My primary job is to teach you what's in the Bible. And in that, to teach you about following Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Now, Presbyterians will also say, well, you got me off on a whole... We're going to be here till 12. Let me just say. No, (laughs) I'll stop in just a second. We say that when when a teaching elder stands up to read the Word and to teach and preach the Word, that that our job is to say to God, God, you speak through me. And in some secondary sense, but also a very real sense, what the teaching elder has to say is the Word of God. And therefore, the act of preaching and teaching is a sacred thing and scary as all get out. Because if what I say is the Word of God, I better be right. I'm never 100% right. Doesn't mean you can't question. Please do. It means you should pray. I'm, I'm lifting up. All of this is a way of lifting up the central place, the crucial place, the sacred place of the business of teaching and learning. It was one of the dynamic things in Jesus' own ministry. Yeah, people paid attention because he would, you know, he would take a happy meal and turn it into a feast for a bunch of people. And and he could take somebody who was sick and broken and heal them again. But you know, most of the stories in scripture are about what Jesus taught about God. I should stop there. Some of this might appear in a sermon coming near you soon. <laughs> if you got more questions come up and ask me. Isn't this fun? I hope we're having a good time. God, thanks for being with us today. Keep teaching us. We need to learn. For Jesus' sake, amen. God bless you.